Hey, welcome to the 112th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have Spencer Griffin on the show. He is a college humor alum, also now at Stupid Buddy, Seth Green's company that makes robot chicken, and he is the new head of development for TV. So we talk all about TV pitches, treatments, what he's looking for in new shows, and what you need to know in order to pitch a TV show with Stupid Buddy. If you've ever wanted to pitch a show to an executive, this would be a good episode to dig in on. But before we get into all of Spencer's incredible insight, Oren, I really have been dying to know, what have you been working on lately? Well, it's funny you ask, because... It's been kind of like a weird year. It's been a little slow. And so when people aren't hiring you for work, you start working on your own projects. And I've been getting really into this feature that I'm working on on the script. And now I got these two jobs and I'm like, damn, Mm -hmm. I've been like dying to get good jobs. And I got them. And now I'm like, ah, but I was just getting like my momentum on the feature. Do you ever have that? Yeah, bro. And then I complain (laughs) about it on the podcast and then you call me a baby about it. Oh, yeah. Well, you are a baby about it. Um, anyway, so I got... Like, li- literally on the... Po- like, just <laughs> listeners. Okay. Like, episode 108. I'm like, I don't have enough time to write. And you're like, shut up. Yeah, that is a good... That is something that I would say. <laughs> Sounds pretty smart. Anyway, so yeah. So I got two jobs that I'm excited about. I'm doing a commercial campaign. A pretty uh, good commercial campaign. Yeah, in June. Uh, and I'm also shooting this e-pilot presentation in june and they both have the same thing came up that has basically happened to me on every single job in the past year and a half especially commercial jobs which is they're like hey we're gonna do you know three 30 second commercials and like three 10 second instagram whatever stories and now it's eight instagram stories Mm -hmm. same budget same Mm -hmm. number of days to shoot and same with the e-pilot presentation. Hey, you know, we're doing a pilot presentation. Here's the script. It's long. It's got a lot of things going on in it. Can we shoot it in two or three days? You know? Right. So right. I'm curious what you do when you know there's no way it can be as good as you want it to be because you have to shoot so much in one day. How, like, what's the level of pushing back versus just, you know, d- either deciding well, I'm going to make, these are going to be the two good spots and these are going to be the five not as good spots or like what, what's your strategy in dealing with that? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a couple of tactics you can take, um, picking a favorite or two and like maybe fighting for, you know, if you've got three, if you've got three special shots in every single spot and as a result of adding two more spots to the day, you can't, you don't have time for any of them. Maybe pick one spot where you can really put all of them in there and that's the hero spot and also commonly everybody knows there's one hero spot everybody knows there's like the main one and then there's kind of the supplemental well, you know do they know because that's my point of view it's like look we're gonna shoot five spots we know one is gonna be like the one we're all gonna use on our reel because it's the best so why do they want us to make 12 you know like mm-hmm. what's the difference between three and ten at some point you're literally yeah. just making everything worse. I mean, part more. of our job is to be aware of the practical limitations of a crew and the creative and the time. And sometimes these other companies don't have the set experience, frankly, or just have magical thinking. Um, and so 
you know, there's some politics to be had of like, you know, I really want to focus fire. I think it's really just looking at the schedule. I really, I ran the numbers. I tried to figure out a way to make it work. And I think the best way to do this is really to just kind of prioritize and make six really awesome spots, which is still an insane number of commercials to try and shoot in two days. Which also sucks because then it's like now these six spots have to be amazing. (laughs) Even though it's still more than you have time to shoot. Well, the good news is that they have to be amazing no matter what, because, <laughs> you know, your career and livelihood and family depend on it. Right. Welcome to directing. What happened today was we were speaking to the agency and we're like, hey, this is a lot of spots. And they're like, yeah, the client wants all of them. We agree. And they said, well, Oren, why don't you send us an email telling us your concerns and why you think we should shoot less spots? Oh, and we will articulate that yeah, yeah. to the client. Right. So I tried to send them an email, but it's like, you know, it's just a bunch of junk. I don't know. Yeah, I was like, be, if there's a wardrobe issue, if there's a this, if an actor doesn't get the line right, and then I feel like in their mind, it's like, well, you're the director. You should make sure the actor gets, you know. Yeah. Like, I want them to know sometimes the sun is in the wrong place and we have to move everything. Or there's a kid screaming in the back or police sirens come by. I think also maybe sometimes you can kind of hedge and say like, well, what if we put the least important spot at the end of the day yeah they see in their mind it's like can't we do well we wrote them all for like the same location can't we just like change out the actors and just run like 10 different versions and it's like well yes but inherently you're making worse spots because now your location has nothing to do with your characters right Mm -hmm. like if this is like a college dorm room and you want these two sorority girls sure. to have the same college dorm rooms as these two yes. football players. College students and football players all go to the grocery store. That is technically true. <laughs> right. But it's not good for their character. Yeah. So it's like you're you're just asking us to make more stuff that is not going to be as good. Um, and I had a hard time articulating in an email why that was the case. Anyway uptown problems yeah yeah no as doubt they say but uh but yeah so i'll let you know how it goes but i'm super excited to be working on both of these things well once again i think you and i career-wise are uh, in a seesaw <laughs> i literally just wrapped out the job that i've been working the last three months on and i'm now done and i'll tell you what i've had the worst case of senioritis i think i've had since i was literally a high school senior um not that those jobs weren't fun and great and i love them but like i'm really ready to be um freelance and fancy free basically so get ready for more great tweets and procrastination from matt and nice um well cool before we jump into the interview with spencer uh i just want to remind people that we have a patreon page uh the url is patreon.com slash just shoot it pod or i'm not familiar what is a patreon page what what do you what does that mean so patreon is a website that allows creators to get support from their listeners so if you guys really like our podcast feel like you're getting something out of it it's been useful to you and you're wondering if there's some way that you can help us and help ensure that it just keeps going on forever and gets better uh Patreon is a website you can go to. You can pledge a dollar a month, which would be like 25 cents an episode, or $4 a month, which would be like a dollar an episode. You can start and stop whenever you want. And we would be using the money to pay our editors, our producer, and try to host some more live events. So if you're interested at all in supporting the podcast, check out patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. And if you're not, don't worry. 
the podcast is free it's regardless. Gonna keep trucking. Yeah, it's just a great way to support all of the people, uh, mostly not me and Orin, frankly, <laughs> who work really hard to make the podcast consistent and great. And um, we're hoping to just make it better and better to do more events and kind of expand uh, expand the purview of the podcast in a way that I think will be helpful for the community. So if you want to help that happen or if you want to support your fellow craftspeople, I think this is a, a great way to do it. Sure. Yeah. And with that, let's get into our stupid buddy, Spencer Griffin. Spencer Griffin, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is my second time seeing Spencer in a week. So I saw Spencer at Weird Al and uh, it was cool. You were there with your boss, who my brother was like, is that Seth Green? When we walked up to you guys, he's the one that was like, hey, I'm Seth. Yeah. Like it wasn't like, you know, I yeah, tend to the- not bother known people because I know they get it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you are working with him now at yeah. his company. Yeah, so I'm the head of live action development and production at Stupid Buddy Studios. And the reason your title is so long and you have to clarify live action development and production is because Stupid Buddy is traditionally an animation and 2D and stop motion company. Because I was at this networking event a couple weeks ago and people are like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm head of live action. And they looked at me funny and I'm like, it means normal. It just means normal TV, TV and normal stuff. And they're like, live action, like it's live. I'm like, no, it means human. (laughs) Human beings are on screen. Not a puppet. Yeah. Uh, David Brooks, who runs the commercial division of Stupid Buddy, was like, yeah, I mean, you're doing something really cool here, man. Like, you've got this really cool niche. I'm like, the niche that is 95% of the industry Yes, I guess that's yeah. a niche. They're like, we never thought of like putting a human in front of the camera. Yeah. Like, how do you animate them? Yeah. Like, you just tell I mean, them. It goes yeah. a lot move. It's really, it's really cool. Like, the Stupid Buddy has been around for, you know, many years. And, and Robot Chicken is obviously awesome. That's what they're and, most famous for. Yeah. You know, it takes one human being all day to do about seven seconds of a right. stop motion show which is lightning fast right like they're famous for knowing how to yeah animate in a way that's stylish and cool but like not as labor intensive as your um yeah. you know nightmare before christmas is or I your i love dogs why right? i don't know those processes i know there's 175 employees sure so it's like super labor intensive. That's how hard stop motion is. Yeah, it's 18 months is the production cycle for Robot Chicken. That's gnarly. Yeah. And it's, they're shooting like everything at the same time too. Yeah, because there's multiple stages because there's no audio. It's so bizarre from a live action standpoint or a normal standpoint. It's bizarre <laughs> how they work because the scripts are done. Mm-hmm. You mean like they get the audio Yeah, track. the scripts are done and then they record with actors and then they give it to animators. As opposed to in live action, it's like it's all you know. The script is sure. There's no improv. It's, there's it's no. It's just like, a suggestion. It's a suggestion. Things yeah. out. There's yeah. no one being like, that's not that's bumping. And then they can me. cast for the lines, so they don't they write it and then they go find somebody who can do the lines as written. They don't go, oh that oh that person auditioned. Ooh, we should okay we can we can work with that. Let's mm-hmm. like figure it out. No, because everyone can do not everyone can do voiceover, but like there's so many voiceover actors, and it doesn't matter what you look like. Right. So. So just get the right so the script the is yeah. king and queen and Jack and all and a and all the th- whatever the metaphor is it's it's has to be perfect. That's so interesting too because your background is in you know comedy and sketch comedy and all of that, and I feel like we kind of all came up in a period where 
improv was very cool. Gag reels. Gag reels and like just, you know, moving lightning fast. And so that mentality of like, oh, we're going to feel things out on set and cross shoot things and all that stuff. That's a relatively new phenomenon. Most of the time people wrote their scripts and like, you know, especially when you came from like a, a New York, like playwright, you know, the playwright yeah. is God sensibility. You didn't fuck with people's lines, right. you know? And so it's interesting to have come up in that era where we're, everything is kind of like a little loosey goosey and we can kind of, you know, mess around with stuff. Yeah. There's no multiple takes in stop motion. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but they, they do it once. But they mess up, right? Sometimes and they have to redo. Never. No mistakes. <laughs> if you do, right. you're fired. Like, no, it's, like the, few mistakes. Yeah. Well, it's it's just they don't like move the arm in a few different ways and then the editor decides which way it was oh, best. Right, right. Mm-hmm. They move it the way it's supposed to be moved. Right. And sure, they make a mistake, but then they get it right. Right. And then you move on. Yeah. Right. They were like, oh, wait, I'm going in the wrong direction. Back it up yeah. a few frames and like. And I took somebody on a tour today of all the stages, which is, you guys, all of you should come. Everyone listening should come. But uh, a woman who was working on this one of the stages, it was like three characters pop up out of um, caskets, right? Like they're mm-hmm. vampires and they pop up. And I was like, yeah, you know, I bet the writer just wrote, they pop up out of caskets. That's as that's as small. <laughs> sure. and it took her all day <laughs> to have them pop quote unquote sure. pop up because every little bit has to move i remember uh on a show that i did last year it was about like these super rich people and like they would the star was also one of the head writers and he would write like three lamborghinis in the driveway yeah. and then it wasn't until he was on set and he saw like us literally towing you can't even drive a lamborghini because like they're so hard to drive and like so expensive that like three tow trucks had to move them in and it took like six people to like coordinate all that stuff and he was like fuck i should have just written one um yeah same sort of idea writers man yeah they ruin it and in stop motion like if you have like five people in a scene it's probably like it's a lot every single frame you have to animate every single person yeah how often does like someone have a cold and sneezes and ruins like an entire day's worth of work? Uh, well, not so much because the they they build all the puppets. I've learned so much. Puppets don't mean your hand goes inside a thing. Puppet means anything that moves on mm-hmm. camera. So the action figures in Robot Chicken aren't. It's not like they bought them from eBay and right. used them. They they rebuilt them completely. Sure, they took great pains to make it look like they bought them off eBay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're all structurally very, very sound, and right. can, you know. But I wonder if there's, incredible. I wonder if there's like one person that works at Stupid Buddies that yes, they're like, easy. don't let, yeah, <laughs> don't let Sarah in here. She keeps falling on everything. Yeah. Well, so before you were at Stupid Buddies, you were at College Humor for Nine seventy years. years? Nine. Yeah, seventy, <laughs> seventy. Yeah, yeah. And were you running production there? Uh yeah, for parts of it, I had like. In seven or nine years, I probably had 17 jobs. Hmm. I started as a post-production coordinator and slowly worked my way up and ended up being their executive producer. And so I was in charge of all production. But at the very end, I was also in charge of development. So, and that's kind of what segued you into Stupid Buddies. Yeah. So did you take pitches at College Humor too? But only for the last year. So now you're developing live TV, right? Yeah. Sorry, well, TV. Sorry. Live action TV. Normal TV. Yeah, normal yeah. TV. Yeah. Live action TV. Like half hour, hour comedy, drama? Yep. Half hour comedy. Half hour goal. comedy. And so how does that process work? Like let's say one of our listeners has a great idea for a half yeah. hour comedy. 
What what should they do? So everybody is unique. I every stupid buddy is unique. <laughs> oh, uh, how they would get to me would probably be going to my website and then like emailing me on my website. But typically, which is which is spencerleegriffin.com. And if someone were to like say listen to the show and want to reach out to you, what would they put in the subject line? Uh, they'd put. Matt Enlow recommended me. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe just shoot it, listener. <laughs> no offense, guys, but uh, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, they could put just shoot it, listener. Any, I mean, it's you know, it's one of those forms on a website that, that they'll go to my personal email. Um, typically, I reach out to my friends, right, and people I know. Uh, or I go to agents and managers and say, like, what do people have? Um, and I try to give the agents and managers kind of a, uh, I have a little shtick that I describe as like what we're looking for. Um, but it's, it's pretty hard to be somebody who doesn't know somebody, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I heard, uh, this interview with, I think Michael Arndt today, or he was g- giving a, a talk, you know, he wrote Toy Story 3 and Little Miss Sunshine and Star Wars. And he, somebody asked him how you get your script to an agent and his answer I thought was kind of great, which was, I mean, the first part was the obvious part. Like everyone has a different way, you know, there's no one answer to that. But the second part was just try to work in the industry and you'll meet people. And within a couple of years, you'll have people to send your script to. Yep. Um, So, I mean, that's kind of the same thing you're saying, but so just, I actually don't know 112 episodes into this podcast. I don't know if we've ever talked about how, you pitch like a TV show and what the entities are. So there's a production company, there's a network, there's a studio. Can you kind of explain to us how that all works? Yeah. So this is one of those times where it's, it, everybody's different. Again, every process is different. Our, my process or our process is I typically go with a writer who has the idea, right? That's, that's kind of the focus. Um, that writer, it, it can go a lot of different ways, but that writer has a script. Let's say I read the, and I like it. I read it and I like it. Right. And I go, great. Write up a treatment. I'm interested in. Wait, well, so wait. they go script first and then treatment? Or they could go treatment than script. They could. But typically people will have a pilot script, mm-hmm. if, if especially if they're up and coming or they're emerging. Like they people, anybody can write a pilot script. Sure. Right? So they have that. And this is like a 30 page type script yeah. type of thing. Yeah. 30 page script um, in Final Draft or Celtics or whatever. And, and, formatted properly not and all celtics that. you guys not celtics no. okay great whatever it is it's properly format like you know yeah. all those right. things we matter. can't tell no matter what yeah, yeah 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 and and some people will just have a treatment but more often than not i read full pilots honestly if people are five years or ten years into the career i end up reading more treatments mm-hmm. but the early people have their script that's interesting yeah because yeah. by the time you're five or ten years in you're like oh i don't need to write the pilot yet they'll pay me for that but also yeah. you can say like, well, I wrote this on this show. I was a writer on Last yeah. Man on Earth. And and, I was a writer on this. But all those people that turn treatments into me have pilot scripts. They're just not pitching those anymore. Right, right, right. Because right. they've all been passed on or they're samples or they've gotten enough feedback like no one will ever make this. So, you know. Yeah, so the 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 small treatment is basically the fast way to get something into your hands. Yeah. So, yeah. well, I the this pilot script is great because right. the I'm more interested in the treatment. So whether somebody sends me a treatment or they send me a pilot, we work on the treatment together mm, more I so see. than we work on the pilot. Because what's interesting to me is the the distance between what you think you wrote and how you describe what you wrote. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. Because 
sometimes people think what's in their pilot is not really in there. And they'll, they'll once you get them talking about a character and they're like, oh, she's this, this, and this. You're like, that's not in your script mm-hmm. at all. And they're like, oh, well, it comes up in episode five. It's like, oh, yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to. We're not there yet. Yeah. We're not. You got to yeah, show me everything. Yeah. Because if you look at the great drama pilots, everything's in there. Right. And I think that's how comedy should be, too. You know, and there's so many examples of it not like Andy wasn't Andy in Parks and Rec until season two or three or but sure, fine. But still, as much as you can get in the pilot is better for me. Right. Because so often in the pilot, this is another thing I see is people are writing premise pilots, mm-hmm. which is really a prologue to me mm-hmm. because it's not what the show is. So it'll be like the f- per- person's first day at the job. And it's like, oh, it's a way to meet everybody. Right. But is the show every episode there's a new person at the job? No? Right. Well, then why are we starting there? But like Mad Men is a good example, right? It's Peggy's first day, but everyone else has been there for a while. Yeah. yeah. I think of like Scrubs is the example that I use for like, oh, you meet everybody real fast, but it's also the exact same tone and adventure yeah. and style. That's what makes pilots suck so hard. It's right. like it's like you have to be an actual episode and also introduce everybody at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I assume uh, the ER pilot was Noah Wiley's first day. Yeah, right. I bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I think so. Yeah, but Noah Wiley's not the lead of that show. It's yeah. the tension. No, right. <laughs> but Breaking Bad is definitely a premise pilot, right? Well, I I think that I, I don't think it is because it's that's what the rest of the show is is his balance of. I mean, maybe it is. I, I mean, I guess how I, you, it depends how you define yeah, premise pilot. Yeah, part, yeah. part of the challenge though is that it's one thing to pitch a serialized pilot, right? Like Breaking Bad had a very finite end and like a pathway, right? So there was still an engine, but it wasn't Scrubs, right? Scrubs is like, there's a new medical emergency and a zany adventure every single time. I think that there's been a shift from more episodic TV to something more serialized, and that's where the discrepancy comes in, you know? Yeah. I still think you have to show what the engine of the show is, though. Certainly. Anyways, so. No, no, no. No, no, but this is is good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, And and I'm actually, I think this is what probably a ton of people nowadays are wondering. Like, are there still places that want a modern family or a scrubs pitch to them, or is everyone looking for, like, a last man on earth or a... Um, search party, you know, like a se- yeah. episode serialized yeah. search comedy. party is a great example, right? Like that first episode is really the kickoff for the rest of the series. It is yeah. a prologue, right? Yeah, that's what. They but were it selling. has what the series is. That's the plot, mm-hmm. but like the tone, the theme, the adventure, the mm-hmm. the sense of like what is going on. That's present, right? It's an example episode with also setting up the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. I I think and then some of the pilots I read, it's it is that sort of Mad Men style. Where it's like one character's journey, mm-hmm. but if you're pitching an ensemble, the ensemble has to be there, right? Immediately, right? right. So it really, what what's interesting to me is the disconnect between treatment and pilot. And when somebody writes a pilot, how do they describe their work? And it's two different skill sets, right? Like mm-hmm. some people can write great pilots and then just can't write an essay about their own work, or the way they describe their work is just so different than the tone of what their pilot is. Mm-hmm. So one key thing i i tell people is when you're describing characters put in a line of dialogue for your character mm, that's to prove what they sound like hmm. um and like a defining line of dialogue right? yeah like I can't the line that, can't be like hey where's the bathroom yeah like if that character <laughs> had a twitter account what is that person tweeting mm-hmm. right and so that way we see it especially in a comedy because so many treatments in comedy aren't funny right and it's like oof 
if you can't describe your show in funny ways, it's hard to sell that you're funny. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So yeah, that's incredible advice. Yeah, lines of dialogue and character descriptions are great. Um, and, and generally, you don't need images, right? You don't need a picture of like the no. archetype of this character or anything. Uh, if you if it's really important to saying who they are, like if if it's if there is an actor that fully embodies who that character is, it doesn't bother me. So you don't but mind if someone said like a Danny McBride type or a Amy no, Poehler type, but you don't need a me. photo of a- Amy Poehler and Danny McBride. You don't need it. Yeah. What? What? Let me back up a little bit, even wider. What does a document like? What does the treatment look like to, like to you? Treatment to me is you start off with your log line, right? Which and does it, it can it be like four, four or five sentences, or do you? I like it to like be a short? couple sentences. The log line to me has to show so much it's got to show the story of the show so the the log line of parks and rec is something along the lines of leslie nope is an optimistic person who is trying to make a difference in her small town amidst bureaucratic backdrop and apathetic townspeople and it's not very funny yeah in spite of the town yeah right like and and so you're showing what the uh episode to episode drive is going to be of the show. Yeah. So like Seinfeld is not a show about nothing. (laughs) Seinfeld is a show about selfish people making mountains out of molehills. Right. But you think that's how they pitched it? No, I don't know how they pitched it. I, I, they pitched it like, "Hey, Jerry Seinfeld is a successful comedian." <laughs> right. <laughs> well, because but yeah. but what matters to me is the treatment's not even something we're going to give anyone necessarily. Right. But something interesting is like. It's so easy for us to pitch like Mad Men or Breaking Bad or The Sopranos or The Last Man on Earth because we've seen it and it works and we're, it's easy for us to pinpoint. But um, what's hard to figure out is how to sell a show before anyone thinks it's good, you know? Right. Um, and so like a log line. I don't know. Something I read today was that ideally some screenwriting type teacher type person was saying like ideally your log line has some irony in it, you know? And mm. like Leslie Nope, she's crazy. You know, the, sm- the most ambitious person in the world is running the Parks and Rec in department the that nobody gives a shit yeah, about, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so, like, if you can... And if Isolate you can, the conflict, yeah. Yeah, and just, like, make it, like, the happiest person, you know, or the saddest person on Earth gets a job at Disneyland. Like, yeah, you know, like, right. how can you get... Like, yeah, show I the mean, conflict or the irony. Or yeah, whatever. I think you're describing the engine of the show, which is always the thing for me. A logline needs to, un- you need to understand the tone and then like what each episode is going to feel like and what the story mm-hmm. is going to be, basically. I think if you just write antics ensue at the end, it's pretty <laughs> and sure. Yeah, yeah. The comedy. And hilarity ensues. I, yeah. Yeah. But it's do. funny. <laughs> yeah, but but funny. Anyway. Uh, so that's the start. Is the logline? Let me let me ask you though, because um, I will. We're probably just going to focus on just the log lines. Line. Yeah, log lines. They're right. super important. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's worth spending this time. Uh, but I will tell people oftentimes to go ahead and say like, give us a this meets that, but be a little bit more specific and say like, you know, the visual style of Parks and Rec with the um, crassness of South Park or something. So so that mm-hmm. people can dial in. I want to know as best as I can what the tone is at the very beginning of the document so it frames what I'm reading for the rest yeah. of the time which is hard I, yeah I think I think I'm of a mixed opinion because so many people are it's 30 rock meets always sunny right right and you're like <laughs> well so those so, are two funny shows so the workplace comedy of 30 rock with the 
uh, nihilism. Idiocy of... And that's where I would say, then take out the shows and just describe what your show is, not what it's like. Interesting. Yeah, that's true. You know, because I think too often it's hard to find that balance between just referencing a bunch of really popular shows and and that distracts me from, yeah, those are all shows. What's your show? Right. Fair. Because to say the nihilism of It's Always Sunny, it's like, well, philosophically, what do you think the nihilism of Always Sunny is? I think it's straightforward. They all <laughs> only care about themselves. So that's self. Yeah. Sure. So that's that's more selfishness. Sure. Right. I guess right. that's true. Maybe. Yeah. But in the face of, I, I don't know, It's Always Sunny well <laughs> enough. Um, yeah. Or nihilism, really. But <laughs> <laughs> You just don't care. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm trying I, to, I believe in nothing. I'm trying to pitch this feature that tonally is just like Get Out. It is like a Rosemary's Baby or The Shining type of film, but it, there's like funny moments. And Get Out is like the only movie yeah. that kind of has pulled that off. And if Get Out didn't exist, I guess I would be like, it's kind of like Rosemary's like a, Baby, a but funny with Rosemary's funny moments. Baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like sometimes it's weird because there's only one thing to compare your thing to. Yeah, I, I prefer... I, honestly, after reading as many treatments and pilots as I have, like to not reference other shows. Mm, interesting. Because it's so easy to reference other shows. And that doesn't mean that you've done your homework on what your show is. Because the, the, and, and that, the big questions I ask everyone is why this? Mm-hmm. Why you? Why now? Sure. So I guess I'd love to hear the why you care about the why you. Because I think it's something in today's kind of climate in Hollywood, there's a big focus on new voices, right? Mm-hmm. And I even heard... Or or even just personal stories, right? Like, mm-hmm. people are always looking for, like, oh, you lived through this thing. This is autobiographical in some way or inspired by your life in some way. Or, or something. Well, you know, there's people want to buy passion. Sure. And authenticity, right? Yeah. But I think that comes with, like... If if you're pitching, if I'm pitching a show about amusement parks, and I'm like, oh, this is a workplace comedy about amusement parks, but everyone's really selfish or everyone's nihilistic sure, sure. or whatever, and people are like, well, why do you want to tell this story? And I go, oh, I just think it's funny. Who, no one sure. wants to buy that. It's got to be like. But what if they said, well, I grew up going to Disneyland. I had an annual pass, and I went there every week. Yeah, and yeah. I thought it was interesting. Sure. Like, or was that enough? my summer job was in. Yeah, or it? even if it's just like, well, I think amusement parks are the definition of American culture. I think it's where families can come together and spend a crazy amount of money in order to have a very base level of fun that you could probably have if you imagine. But like, that's what's interesting to me is the divergence between, mm-hmm. you know, classical family time and opportunistic capitalism. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it's <laughs> enough that it's just something that's interesting to them. It, yeah. it doesn't have to be their from life their is, life. Yeah. I mean, ideally it's from your life, but not everyone grew up next to Disneyland. In this what in this example, sure, right? Um, it's more like why should you be telling this story and not anyone else I could hire who's better than you and more experienced than you? Mm-hmm. So, what is it about this that gets makes you want to work fifteen hours a day for the next five years? Because the it, show the show isn't the pilot. The show is the next five years sure, of your life. Your whole life uh, is is it good enough that the answer is insight? You know, like, because that's really what you're saying. It's like, oh, like the the pitch that was your example was really just someone being thoughtful about. Well, having like yeah. a point of view yeah. on yeah. the topic, I guess, because like if you're pitching sci-fi or horror or something supernatural or fantasy, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's probably just on a per case basis, but I'm sure our listeners are thinking like, well, I have this sci-fi idea about this monster that time travels back in time and does these things, but anyone could write it. Right. It's just, I just have the idea. Like, 
Yeah, and then I would say go listen to Guillermo del Toro talk. Because I bet he speaks from the heart about why creatures are important to him. And why love stories are important yeah, to yeah. him. Because it's it's the sci-fi idea is probably not about a monster. It's probably about loneliness. Or yeah. whatever. I mean, right sci-fi now. is just about loneliness. Yeah. Sci-fi I think 101. most things are about loneliness. <laughs> <sighs> Especially podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Especially Spencer's drive over here. Yeah. Dude, just talk to Siri. Yeah. She's cool. Yeah, like, I think that's that's interesting, though. It's really, you're saying, like, talk about the themes. What? Why do the themes in your work speak to you? And that's another way to kind of uh, explain what the show is about without being so presentational of like this is what the show is about another way of saying it is like this like i'm passionate about it because i think this is interesting is a better way into the the text or the subtext of your show anyway yeah and i and i even get nervous about words like themes because there are so many themes you can pick but i'm i don't watch shows for themes i watch shows for drive Mm -hmm. and so like what if it's if your theme is revenge, sure. sure. And like talking about the nature of revenge is okay. But like, why do you care about revenge? Yeah, I'm like afraid to pitch theme because like I don't want to say like oh it's about a family. You know, <laughs> it's about family because I feel like yeah that's like one of five things you can choose from like a universal theme list. You know. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I, when I say themes, I guess I mean like kind the heart of, of some, the show. Yeah, exactly. Somewhere in the middle where like it's not. You're right. Like if you go like a little more road and like, you know, the theme of revenge, the theme of man versus nature or something, like that, that's yeah. boring. That's right. Yeah. That's not super interesting. But like, I think if you can connect it to what you're passionate about, then you're really actually talking about the true thematic content of the yeah. show. And right? I would say I don't ever want to see the letter like the first person personal first person personal. How do you describe the word I like the letter I mm. uh, the word I <laughs> Um, uh, you don't want you don't like it when yeah, people start a sentence personal. with like I used to do yeah, this. Sure, I'm saying I don't like it. Right, yeah. right. it's some, you have to describe the work that it's important outside of yourself, but really be talking about yourself. Yeah. Spencer, I feel like the Venn diagram of you and my high school AP English teacher <laughs> is like overlapping in ways <laughs> that I wish I could travel what? back in time and explain to myself. <laughs> Yeah. Um, in you, good are you, ways. Are you saying I I feel like an AP English teacher? Yeah, because that's my goal in life. Mrs. Moore, <laughs> yeah. she was real good. Was I was good. hoping for like Mr. Jack. <laughs> he drove Mr. a Jack. Mr. Jack drove yeah. a motorcycle. He was the cool teacher. But I do think the takeaway from what you're saying is like, just because you grew on an orange farm and you thought it was so interesting, like the devices used to pick oranges, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's interesting to everyone else. Oh, you're trying to yeah. find like the universal truths. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Be, and that and that goes to like why this there I got pitched a show about a summer camp and they were like all these people are real isn't this so crazy that this happened and I was like I do not care about your personal life in that world <laughs> in that way like why this summer camp why this year of summer camp why these people just because you think it's interesting and you're connected to it is not enough um, because I think people get tripped up on their own personal experiences that it's wonderful. Right. Right. So because it actually happened is not a very good reason to write something. Yeah. Cause the adventures never happened. Yeah. It's very interesting. <laughs> um, so <laughs> maybe it did <laughs> before we move on, uh, past the log line, one last log line related yeah. question. So there are some producers, even a couple that we've had on this podcast 
that say to people they know, just send me like a few, a bunch of log lines and I'll tell you if any of them seem interesting. Do you ever do that or do you prefer? I think I did it to you. That could, it I could, might have. Yeah. I, yeah. It's If I know that somebody does have 10 ideas in their arsenal, then I go, give me five and I'll pick the one that's best for stupid buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, because not because what we're looking for is different from than what other companies are looking for probably or what I'm looking for is different, right? Right. The other way I go about it would be, what's the one TV show you want to make? If you go only get to make one your whole life, mm-hmm. that's the one I want, and right. I don't want to hear about your other ones. Mm-hmm. Because when I go yeah. into a room, it's this is me. I'm putting everything into this person. This person. This is their one true story they have to tell. Right. And the the point of that is that you're putting a lot of collateral into every idea you take up the line. Right. Like you're putting it on the line. I think that's so tricky because I find that it's a little freeing to know that I'm going to have other ideas and I'm going to have other times at bat. And like, this is not my last chance to sell a TV show. Yeah. That's the, that's the counter advice, which is like, Luis Alfaro, who is a playwright from L.A. and is an amazing, amazingly talented artist. I went to a talk back of his when I was I don't know, 22 or something. And he said that the biggest thing that he finds in young writers is that they think of their play mm-hmm. as an opus. Right. That it has to be about their father, their mother, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, their roommate, their work, their art, everything, their couch, everything. But really, young writers should think about their work as a bookshelf full of plays. Right. Because you probably have five plays about your mother. And six plays about your couch or whatever it is. Um, and so, y- yeah, it's it's tough because I want to say to you, Matt, sure. give me the number one TV show you want to do. And if you pitch it to me and it's about your summer camp, I'll go. Wow. Ooh, <laughs> and then I say, hold on, Spencer. And I open my trench coat and I go through the Rolodex. And yeah. Find, but you get that from stuff. Matt's perspective. He's like. I really like Stupid Buddies. I really like Spencer. I would dream, you know, it would be awesome to develop a comedy show with him. I have three ideas that I'm really excited about, and I want Spen- I want Spencer to be excited about them too. So I'd love to yeah. share those three yeah. ideas. It, it's tricky because I think typically I will meet with someone and then come back with ideas afterwards, oftentimes that are custom to a company. Yeah. Well, I think it just depends on what type of person you are. Like, I think you're the type of person that has 10 ideas. Yeah. I have more than that. Well, congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) You're the type of person that has 10 good ideas. Sure. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Maybe 30. Hopefully more than that. But the, but some people are more passionate about a singular well, there's just something about them that you know that they've got one great story to tell sure. and not only one but like they have it in them right now yeah, they're ready yeah 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 or yeah. they're a performer and you're like what's the what's the <laughs> sure. one that you're gonna be the lead of yeah yeah tell me that one yeah, that's right. fair okay cool yeah. well so i think we got log lines yeah <laughs> um so what's the next part of this treatment the next part is the um what i would is the story it's like what the show's about generally so is it like a synopsis or? Yeah, it's it's synopsis. It's usually like two paragraphs of like what what's the world, what's going on in it. If the logline is a workplace comedy about an amusement park and how it's open every summer and is filled with people who whatever. The, the next two paragraphs to me would be about what the show's really about. And so you're just taking like the logline and pulling it out in mm-hmm. two paragraphs. Yeah, and it's it's no personal mission statement. It's not. It shouldn't be too. 
pat yourself on the back or hyperbolic. How much do we need to know about the characters in this section? Not much. Whoever the leads are, it's fine, but the characters can come later for me. And do we and we do we describe the engine here? Like Mike yeah. is going to have to figure out how to. You oh, know, that's later. Get I would say passes. that's later. I th- I think the first two paragraphs are just the world, the engine of the show, and like what the main plot season arc is of season one. Yeah, and then when you get into characters, where I think people trip up is they describe their character, and then later on they describe season arcs. Mm-hmm. But really, each character description yeah. should be one paragraph about the person with a line of dialogue and where they go over the course of the season. Yeah. yeah. Because if you can't do that in four sentences, I don't know if you can do it. Yeah, and also, if you do it in order, more or less of how you would introduce them in the show, then you can drive your narrative forward the way it naturally would anyway. Yeah. Well, something right. interesting that Tony Ascenda told us when he was talking about how he pitched American Vandal. Sorry, Peabody winning. Tony Peabody Ascenda. winning sure, sure, sure. Tony Ascenda was, and I think this is like helpful to think of, is sometimes like I like to think of the document as how I would just say it out loud to someone. Because whenever I have ideas, I like pitch. I basically am constantly pitching them to people and seeing if people I can stay awake till the end of the idea or not. And I'm always pitching different versions. And sometimes pitching the world first, and then the characters works better. Sometimes pitching the characters first, and then the world. It just kind of depends. Like, what's your hook, and then how? What's your engine, right? And so, I feel like there is a little bit of like flexibility. Like you want to you want to yeah. unfold the information in the most compelling way yeah and i would say the world is less the, is not the setting right the, it's not mm-hmm. a 1960s advertising agency right that you know is stuck against the backdrop of whatever the 60s however you describe it. it's more like this this show is about the relationships inside of an advertising agency right, right. but and also how- at a time when men felt like they had certain roles to fill and women had to, had certain roles to fill and we we're gonna see that yeah. flip and that's the world. Right. That's what I would describe as the world. Right, right. And that's what would be in those first two paragraphs. Right. Um, the world of the show, not the setting of the show. And then do you cover, like, in each episode, we'll see a different advertising campaign, like that type of thing? Um, yeah, at some, maybe, if, if that's really what the show is. If, if it's a workplace comedy and it's like, oh, well, each episode is going to be about the uh, new advertising, that's good. But I, I would leave it a little looser. Like, we're going to see advert, you know, Clients come in and come out. We're going to see pitches go up, but it's really a show about the relationships inside the world. What are like the company. some of the things you just keep seeing over and over that people should stop writing in this section? <laughs> I, I'm guessing I that mean, it's, one it's, is like, there's going to be so many guest star opportunities. Oh, I actually don't get that too much. Oh, really? Yeah, which is great. Um, I thought I would get a lot of like that or branded integrations. Oh, more like social integrations, which is how digital people pitch digital <laughs> sure, shows. Sure, sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. But TV people don't pitch that. No one says transmedia in your pitches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, Weird. each character will have a Twitter feed that will. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I honestly think it's that people describe their show as other shows is the, mm. is the thing I see most. It's that it is Parks and Rec meets It's Always Sunny or Mad Men meets Family Guy or whatever. And it's yeah. just like, it for me, it's completely disorienting. Because when somebody says, it's like Mad Men, I'm like, ooh, I love Mad Men. <laughs> then I'm thinking about Mad Men. Sure. And right. then I'm like, this isn't Mad Men. <laughs> I'd rather go watch Mad Men. Fair so, enough. But, yeah. you know, that's it's a personal yeah, yeah. It's a personal thing. So I think that, and I also think that people are, will often describe the shows as they see the show versus as I should be seeing the show. So one of the big 
philosophies I have in treatment writing and, and just generally pitching is we're not pitching a television show, we're pitching a pitch. And so you want to describe the show as you want me to describe the show to other people, mm-hmm. not the way you describe the show. Because yeah. your relationship to the show is one thing and no one else will have that. Right. So. Yeah. you And that can be in the subtext of the show. That can be, you can talk about that in the actual pitch, but the document should be like about the show. Yeah. The show show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to move on into like what happens once the treatment's done, but I, I wanted to ask one more question about the treatment. Yeah. I hear a lot that people like you are looking for shows that you can think of five seasons worth of things, right? Like, can this show last five seasons? If that's only one season, then I don't know if I want to make this show. Then that's a miniseries. But, yeah. but I have a friend right now that's pitching an anthology show. Mm-hmm. And part of the hook is like, and then the second season is so different. It, it's like an American horror type of pit. You know, it's like, we'll use kind of some similar, some overlapping characters, but it'll be totally new stories and new worlds yeah. and new times. And I'm like, that's cool. But like, you really got to sell me on like, the pilot and the first season like I, you can't sell a show because the third season is going to be really cool yeah. um what's your philosophy on like how important season five is when someone is pitching a show my opinion is i want to make sure the writer is prepared for a marathon because it's a marathon to make a television show it's a marathon you sprint <laughs> so, <laughs> sure so like if if it's if they only have one season in their brain because it's an anthology show, that's fine. I, that doesn't bother me. But if it's going to be an ensemble workplace show or like any of the great comedies that are about families or friends, it's not that like it's still the very common question of networks is what's episode one hundred, which sure. is just so frustrating. And, and well, but the, the problem but it is matters. It matters because that's when they're really making money. Yeah, but yeah. is that still true? Yes. I do think the syndication model is still eroded a bit. Sure. But it's still, you still want to get on Netflix and Hulu. Sure. Eventually. And I think you want, it does matter to me that you're thinking about your show long term. Whether that's in the document or not doesn't matter to me. Whether you've said like, oh, by season five, Don is going to be with a new wife. That's re- that's crazy. And that's plot. And I don't really care about plot. Right. Because shows aren't about plot. Right. Shows are about relationships. They're about themes. They're about voice. They're about all sorts of interesting things that have nothing to do with plot. Right. So characters can die. They can move to a new office. Who cares? Yeah. The point is the engine has to keep running. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. But if the engine is something that naturally has an end to it, that is inherently less appealing to people because they want to make more money off your your show. Well, I mean, if you think about the office, like Michael Scott's engine is he is feels separated from his colleagues and is desperately trying to be relatable to them. Right. And in so doing separates himself even more. Right. So that can go on for forever. Yeah. It's not about Michael wants to be the assistant general or whatever title yeah. he was going for. Who cares? Okay. So you've written a treat. You've, you've taken a pitch. You liked, you've yep. worked on the treatment with the yep. writer. Yeah. And what's the next step? Um, we probably work on the treatment some more. Uh, it's a lot of treatment work. Uh, the next step is then, I mean, part of it is like, it's all strategy. It's deciding what's next and every project's different. So some of it, you go to a packaging step mm-hmm. and go, great, really good idea. Sure. Let's go find a showrunner. Right. Let's go find a head writer. Let's go find a director. You're Let's not famous enough, like, or you don't have a track record enough, really. Yeah. yeah. Or it, it's not even, you don't have a track record. It's like, I don't know that you can do this. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure we're setting ourselves up for success because 
writing and television shows really hard. Sure. And it takes a certain type of person that can run a show. And so we want you want experienced people working on your television show that can handle the pressure and the and all that comes with it. Um, and does Seth Green get involved at this point? Does he go like, well, I know all these showrunners because I've been in TV for a long time. I'm going to start sharing this treatment with some people. Yeah, and, there, and Seth's one of four owners, and all, all four owners see everything that we're trying to do, and they all they all offer opinions on like, oh, this person would be helpful, or oh, I think you should do this. But they're not really, um, their job isn't to be day-to-day. My job is to be day-to-day. So they're more of like sort of a godfather advice mm-hmm. than, hey, I'm going to go connect you to this showrunner um, and like be part of that conversation. Right. So, part, so it could be a packaging step, right? Um, that can be really challenging for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's like, oh, let's go get a famous EP, but they're not going to be the showrunner. Um, Do you need to attach a studio at some point? Or are you the studio? Well, so I don't know much about studios. So we're called Stupid Buddy Studios because we're an animation <laughs> studio, not because we're a live action studio. So my, in my understanding that a studio in the television model is somebody who will finance the project that then sell to a network. Right, right. I don't want to work with studios because that I'd, I just want to go straight to the network. Straight to the network. Interesting. Yeah. So if some if a studio happened to be involved because of a relationship with a showrunner or celebrity, mm-hmm. great. But I don't. I won't pitch to studios. I'll just pitch directly to networks. So or like, would you ever pitch to like a pod? You know, like oh, so and so has a deal set up somewhere. Only if that. Only if like Rachel Bloom who has right. a pod, and I was like, oh, Rachel Bloom would be a good executive producer. I would then go pitch Rachel sure. and her pod. She yeah. wrote on uh, Robot Chicken. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, that's. She's on, yep, she's, sure, in, she's we talk about her a lot, actually. Sure, cool. Um, and she's brilliant and wonderful. And her show's a good, like, touchstone for how to make a great television show that's about a lot of different things, but ultimately is about story and character. Yeah. Um, and it's got some workplace comedy in there. Yep. Which you love. Which I love. <laughs> I do love a good workplace comedy. So then we get into um, the pitch and working on the f- actual pitch. There's been a few strategies I've employed over over my time and i really like practicing a pitch because i have a theater degree mm-hmm. and i believe especially if you're pitching with performers if they can't memorize a pitch and make it feel real in the moment i <laughs> oof what if you're pitching with a writer if i'm pitching with a writer then we will um rehearse it to the point to where i feel like i know that they're going to be successful in the room Mm -hmm. and maybe that's not as much but we have to practice it Mm -hmm. and it 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 doesn't have to be written like a play where you memorize lines but it has to be rehearsed Mm -hmm. and we as you and the writer just the two of you would go in and pitch yeah yeah and you cover basically you cover what's in the treatment in the pitch right yeah for the most part like what i would cover what i would start out is like hey because i know i'll know all the people on the network side and i'll talk to them and chit chat and then be like this is why i love this idea i love this person mm-hmm. i love this i'm kind of the hype sure sure man and you're like this person's done x y and z yeah. all the things that would be awkward for them to say in the beginning right. this is why they're so awesome you yeah. say yeah. and the people receiving the pitch what have they seen at this point they've seen nothing a logline nothing comedy genre uh well, they're all show? yeah it's all comedy people ideally they've seen nothing and you get to just go mm-hmm. or i've been like or you say like hey i've got this person and they've got a really great idea and it's in the adventure space right. or it's in right. the 
Whatever. And then you're, and, you're rolling an easel in, right? And it has something sure. covered with a yeah. fabric. Yeah. yeah. Ideally, there's no materials given in the meeting. I okay. like this. Yeah. Because you just, you want them to listen to you and hear you. Yeah. And then you have a leave behind. You can follow up with something, but no one's flipping through a packet as you're right. talking. Yeah. Zero visuals. Zero visuals. Unless you have shot something or have something that perfectly, perfectly encapsulates the tone of the show. Yeah. Right. If you're Guillermo del Toro and you have the maquettes of the yeah. Shape of Water yeah. Beast or whatever, then you should. Or if that. you've made a short with your friends, that is an example of the work. And because some things are hard to describe tonally, but once you see it, you know exactly you're what like, it oh, is. I get it. Yeah. And we should clarify this is, you know, it's a different recipe for each person. I feel like, yep. uh, Oren, you're like, you're ready to roll in the AV card. And well, I'm like, what if I just wing it? Right. And you, it sounds like you're somewhere in between. Um, I definitely don't believe in winging it. I'm not really winging it. <laughs> well, uh, I, 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 I definitely but, also don't believe in AV carts because sure, sure. there's other ways to do that. Right, uh, sure, sure. But so. my point is, I know I'm good at talking, and Oren is much better at Photoshop than I am. Well, I guess there's. Yeah. It just depends on the show. Like I was pitching this sci-fi show that just had a lot of characters, um, and at the time, the, my writing partner and I felt like if we just show a picture of what each character looks like, it'll be easier for the listeners to track. Like who we're talking about. Yeah, like how doing. do you pitch Battlestar Galactica? Sure. You have right, to have yeah. something visual, right? Like, right. Because there's yeah. so much going on. Um, but we started but, with a lot of visuals, like a lot of kind of tone setting visuals. And then we just like pared it down, pared it down. And at the end, we're like, all you need to really know is like, this is what the who the characters are. Yeah. And now we'll talk about it. And all you really need to know is, again, you're pitching a pitch, right? So like you're pitching something that they can walk out of that meeting and go, that was cool. Yeah. I'd like to hear more. Yeah, just going back to my own personal style, that's why I like the treatment so much. I'm yeah. great at writing a treatment, and I'm good at interfacing with someone. So I lean on those two things and then know that they're going to forward that treatment along to somebody else later anyway. Yeah. How important is the opening of the pitch? Not. Like... I mean, they're going to... It's the first five minutes, I, I guess that's what you mean, right? Like, they're going to buy the show in the first five minutes or not. Sure. I mean, you've introduced this person. Like, I love Madeline. She's got this incredible background in cross-country running. And yeah. she's got this crazy Great, story. Crazy story about cross-country running. Yeah. The thing that everyone's just salivating for. Yes, it's about, a, it's about a Christian church that runs. It's called Cross-Country. Um, <laughs> no, but then she starts talking, right? Yeah. Does it help if it starts with like a personal story? Like, so I thought of this idea when this, or so I noticed this thing, or so when I was at Disneyland. Yeah, a slight personal narrative, of like why? Because you have to establish why you want to make the show. Mm-hmm. But that should be so fast. I mean, the whole meeting should be fifteen to twenty minutes, mm-hmm. and you're including chit chat. Yeah, because everyone else, they, everyone's got things to do. And what I like to do is leave some things out, so that way you are. Um, Inceptioning is that mm-hmm. right? Inceptioning Incepting, a question. Yeah. Incepting, yeah. Incepting a question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ideally, I, that you have a great answer for, which is why practice is so important. Because I've been in pitches where we didn't practice because we wanted to be quote unquote organic. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Death glare at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not, I mean it's just no, like it's where where it's like, oh no, we just want this to feel so natural and authentic that we're not. Right. Gonna it's practice just a it. conversation. It's just we're a conversation, having. which it is a conversation. But don't doesn't everyone else plan their conversations like I do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did anyone ever date? When you date, you figure out your top sure. three right. stories yeah, to yeah. tell, and you tell them very well. Or like yeah. if you quit a job, you're like, I'm going to say this and this and this. Exactly. And then they're like, here's more money, and you're like, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And you stay. <laughs> Sorry, at your job. honey. 
But even when you quit quit. a job and you talk about the old job, you know exactly what you're going to say about the old. Like you do practice these things you talk about. Yeah, there there's like a a script that you sort of develop over time. Right. Yeah. And so so you you do the pitch enough to where you know what you're going to say, you know what you're not going to say, and when they ask you the questions, you can say it. And if they don't ask you the question, then you have it rehearsed to offer. Mm-hmm. So sure. if you if you're talking the whole time and then you forget, you purposefully don't talk about visual style or music mm-hmm. and then because they that's say, such an obvious question to ask. Oh, there seems to be a lot of music in this, Spencer. Yeah. Oh, oh well, that's so great that you. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's yeah, a good thought. So, that's so insightful of you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then also, I don't like to have the treatment done too much ahead of time because then whatever they latch on to, you revise the treatment to meet. Mm-hmm. So you can pivot a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah because unless because the the people I work with are are and develop with are brilliant and wonderful, but they're not experienced showrunners mm-hmm. so experienced showrunners get to michael shore i'm sure says this is the show bam sure and doesn't have to pivot a little bit but the rest of us probably should pivot a little sure. bit well and part of that is also just like again track record like it gets easier to sell things and to execute things the more people trust you right yeah. so that's why you're the hype man that's why you're there to say like Oh, Oren has done all these awesome things. Yep. Trust him. He knows what he's doing. And I've done all of these things that you respect. And I've right. been keeping up this relationship for years. So right. you know me and you know I'm not going to bring in a bunch of bad stuff. Right. Have you ever been in a pitch where everyone is just like super bored? Oh, yeah. Half of them. <laughs> and do you, so the, do you believe in like just getting through it fast or just cutting your losses? <laughs> I don't think the reaction in the room has anything to do with whether they're going to buy it or not. Really? No, it doesn't matter. Because they are who they are. You think so? Yeah. Because I, I've I've mm. had people go, this is amazing. This is wonderful. I love oh, sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. And nothing. And I've had people seem totally disinterested and they make a script offer. I guess I have, I always know if I've sold it. That's great. In the room? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like, you know if it's gone well or not. Even I, if you don't, you don't think so? No, nah, who cares? You're, I'm not really doing it for them. I'm doing it for their bosses. Yeah, yeah, huh? And so, what if they don't give me a good response? I don't beat myself up about it because who knows what's going to happen? Well, sure, that's true. There's, uh, you have, and if it goes great, ideas. I don't pat myself on the back, going, "Oh man, we've sold it." Yeah, I've been yeah. in rooms with celebrities and pitch shows, and they have said, "We love this idea. This is absolutely right for us." And then they come back and go, oh, "They go, sorry, sorry, Pass. yeah, we have something like it in development." Sure, sure, you do. Sure. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it really matters how they how they respond. I try to ignore it. I think that's healthy. Thank you. I go to therapy. Yeah, way to go, man. <laughs> I guess I don't. I don't. It doesn't bother me. Well, the whole time you've been talking about, it, I was thinking about a really bad pitch that I had where nobody re- laughed at any of my jokes. But besides that, yeah, I feel like you have a you have a sense of whether or not it's right for them or not. They can be giving you lip service for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, unco- but co- but I guess it. Does, it your point yeah, is my that point it, is it, doesn't it doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't because matter because that right? person could be having a bad day, or that yeah. person could be bored. But maybe the idea is good enough that it doesn't matter. Right. Right. So it just. You. I. I don't like. And that's where it's not like it's dating. Mm-hmm. You're not. I'm not looking for visual clues on are they, they like this? Should I talk? Like I know my pitch so well that I'm going to pitch the show. Mm-hmm. But yeah. ultimately, you can feel if people are engaged or not, and that's kind of yeah, all. But, but again, it doesn't is. matter, right? But if someone's like falling asleep or looking at their phone, like you might want to like 
wrap things up or not do the nah. longer version. Do the pitch. Just stick it out. Stick it out because you don't know who they're going to be or where they're going to be next month. And what you're trying to do is be the best person you can be and the best pitch you can be and the best storyteller you can be. And if the, even if they don't like this idea, they might like your next one. Certainly. I'm not saying torpedo anything. But I guess yeah. in the same way that you were saying, like, oh, you need to be prepared to pivot, right? Yeah. If you can sense that, like, you know, maybe there's a little bit of interest in the general subject matter and then they latch on to something that maybe is slightly off from what you were thinking the show was going to be. Right. Do you explore, do you mind that vein a little bit? Do you explore it a little bit or you just, you, it, my it, show is my show and that's that. No, I think it depends if they're like, Oh, that's really cool. What if, what if the teacher was also a dinosaur? You go, Oh, I didn't even think about the teacher sure. being a dinosaur. That's right. interesting. But what we've been working on so far is, and you go back to your sure. show. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you like say yeah. all of their ideas are interesting and cool. I I've been in pitches where people have been like, no, 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 that's not right. It's mm-hmm. this. And it's like, oh, nobody <laughs> wants to be told that because <laughs> it, it's, this is all an ecosystem and the people who are working at networks were probably one time directors, writers, actors, something like you don't get into entertainment because you love accounting. Mm-hmm. So they are human beings with hopes and dreams and creativity in them. And you have to treat them as such absolutely so yeah. they want you to win yeah they, they want you to blow them away they sure. want you to win an emmy because that will get them a promotion and get to go work at hbo yeah so they are rooting for you even if they don't seem like it and you want to allow them to be part of the process so one last question about this something i've heard a lot and i believe is true is that you're actually kind of pitching yourself how much of your pitch is about you're pitching the team versus pitching the idea I think if you've got a performer in the room, they're buying who they want to be on a billboard. Sure. Yeah, definitely. If you're a talent, then they're buying you. Yeah. If you're a writer, you are selling yourself, but probably you're you're going to hire a head writer anyway. So right. they're buying the idea. They're de- buying the development process with you. They're, they want to explore it. Maybe point of view. Point of view, yeah. style, tone. Yeah. Interesting idea. Um, so in the in the same way that you're saying you are kind of selling yourself. Right. Like when we say point of view, style, tone, idea, that that's you. Right. Yeah. You're selling. My brother once told me this. Half of your job is being good at your job and half of your job is being somebody people want to work with. Yeah. I mean, in directing, it's more than that. Oh, yeah. Way more than that. And so it's you're selling yourself insofar as you're asking someone to spend the next five years of their life with you. If you switch on a dime, if you're too salesman-y, or if you switch on a dime, or if you're too meek and timid, or if you can't describe your work with passion and interest, the, why would they buy it? Yeah. But that's all part of it. Like, that's why you work with a production company, like, or mm-hmm. a person like myself, because like, we will figure that out before we get you in a room. Right. Yeah. yeah. When I have calls like with agencies for commercials, it's the same thing. It's like you want to show them that you're collaborative and care about their ideas and want to ex- want to be a team. But you also, they're all kind of nervous about the project and you want to say like, hey guys, don't worry, I got this. I got this. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's also a weird extra like a layer line. of like, it's not your baby in the same way. You know, like when you're pitching a show, you kind of do have to stand up for the creative and like if it's challenged, if someone's kind of testing you a little bit, if you pivot too hard or if you're, you just bowl over, then that's that. That's why people like me are good in rooms because I've always told the people I'm pitching with, like when they ask a question, pause. 
mm-hmm. wait. I will jump in if I think it's a trap. <laughs> and I will jump in. With, You're going to jump on I'm, a grenade. I'm going to jump on it, and then I will indicate how you should respond to this question. That is interesting. Because I've been in enough of these rooms. Yeah. And, and I've done I've done the TV rooms, and I've done years of branded and sure. commercial content. I, I was going to say, I've seen you jump. Like we've been <laughs> yeah. in the foxhole together. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like especially when I was younger and less experienced, like you kind of have that frozen moment and there is somebody there to like ideally jump in and let yeah. you know, like to take the lead on that yeah. conversation or to like back off and don't worry. We'll figure sure. it out later. Yeah. yeah, You know? Yeah. Cause if they ask questions about music, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> don't worry about Premium it. Premiumbeats.com. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like what yeah. if it's an eighties soundtrack? Sounds oh, great. Oh, cool. Totally. That's awesome. Everybody thinks they know music. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Well, cool. So, what's uh, any tips for people, like for listeners, on like things that they should or should not include in a pitch? Like, if people at home are kind of working on stuff like that, if you're pitching somebody like me, write the treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you unless you have a real bio and a real credits, the script isn't good enough. I want to know who you are and why you care, and give me just like two to three paragraphs. Be passionate about your work. Be confident in what you have to say. Yeah, I'm. I'm working with a, a writer who she is on draft four of her pilot, and it has vastly changed. Mm-hmm. Of the 37 page, there's probably 31 new pages cool. right. over the yeah. course. So, and it just takes a ton of time. And so, yeah. it's also like the tip I would have is it's a long, long road, and if somebody doesn't like this pitch idea that whatever the listeners have you need to be working on your second one anyway yeah i joke about having the shoebox right it's like you have that wealth of ideas that maybe you developed it out a little bit or maybe not but like when you go on a general with someone you can follow up with like here are the things that i'm excited about that you should check out yeah and it's and also just because everybody passes this year doesn't mean they're not going to pass in five years because all the networks change all the executives change people like me change jobs you never know what the new mandate is and get out five years ago would have been the, a totally different movie. And five years from now, it'll be a totally different movie, whatever the get out in 2023 is. So just hold on to it. If it's really good. Yeah. And move on to your next one. And he worked on that script for 10 years, supposedly. Yeah. Well, like the movie love Simon that came out. Oh yeah. I've seen it. It's, I haven't either, but that's not a movie that would have been made 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Sure. But the pitch of that movie of the writers is like, we've never seen a high school movie with a gay main character. Let's yeah. do that. Yeah. So before we wrap things up, we actually have a listener question that we thought you could help us answer. Oh, fun. Um, so the question is from Ryan Kelly. And he says, my writing slash directing partner recently pitched an episodic series based on our latest short to a production company. The company is offering to start the process of working with us to pitch the series out to big streaming providers and buyers. In the previous few weeks, we submitted the idea to a few other major festival competitions, which offer meetings with development execs from a handful of networks, which can lead to other great opportunities to sell the series. So do production companies expect that you're developing your TV series with them and only them? Do festivals care about whether you're already developing the show and that you're there to pitch at these competitions? Um, and can we still participate in these festivals while working with this production company to develop the series? So, and how, like, who do we owe informing? Um, so I guess, the, you know, the question is, like, how exclusive, like, when you're developing a show with someone, 
And then some their friend at NBC is like, hey, we love this. Uh, come talk to us. What is the level of commitment? I think it depends, right? If ideally you're you're close enough with a person at the production company that you can have an honest dialogue and be transparent. I err on the side of honesty and transparency because I'm from Iowa and Midwestern, and I'd rather sure. be clear than be a, a jerk or be wrong. Um, or burn a bridge. Or burn right? a bridge. Yeah, we don't know who's going to be who. Yeah, you know. Um, Ryan Kelly sounds like a guy I might work for someday. So, Ryan, great question. Yep. Love your question. <laughs> uh, cool. Really I, interesting insight. Yeah, really interesting yeah. insight. And well, I think your show's great. Um, um, but I, I I think it's ideally they would not, certainly they would not pitch NBC without me. Right. If, if we're talking about your idea, we're talking about it. But what if you are, so you've worked on this treatment for like two days and then the people that wrote this idea to you, had also submitted it to like a pitch festival and they win. Yeah. And then through that pitch festival, they're like, Hey, we're going to set you up with all these meetings. I, I mean, I'm guessing that you would say like, I can, we'll also set you up with those meetings. You, and you haven't signed any paperwork. You haven't made an offer. You're not, there's no, there's no money flirting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, And cause the, and that's part of it, right? Like I am working on 17 things right now and I don't have signed paperwork on any of them. So you guys don't option ideas. We don't pay for ideas. No, but that's because our, I'm not interested in buying your idea. I'm interested in helping you make a television show. So you own your idea. Mm -hmm. And there are certain companies that try to own your idea and those companies you should be very wary of. But so even if you've developed it and added characters and changed the whole plot and themes and all that stuff, it's still their idea. It's still their idea. That's my job. Right. Is to help make it the best TV show possible. Now, we're attached to each other. Right. So you have an expectation of exclusivity, though. Yeah. For right. a time period. Yeah. and But you, that comes in the paperwork. So up until that paperwork, nobody owes anybody anything. Right. But the paperwork p- protects both parties. They protect me from mm-hmm. you going to sell your show after I've helped out a lot. And they protect you from me selling your show without including you. Right. Right. Because I could go sell your show. I Because I could call NBC tomorrow. You can't. So we need each other. But you're saying you have 17 shows right now with no paperwork. Yeah. Which um, is something I got to work on. Obviously, I, will, I, I want paperwork before we officially pitch. Mm-hmm. But up until that point, we're talking about the idea and making sure we're a good fit. Because mm-hmm. once the paperwork gets in, there's going to be a clock attached to it. Right. You know, it's going to be, we're going to work on this together for 12 months. And I want to make sure that that 12 months clock starts when I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Or we're close to ready. Right. Not when we're debating what the treatment is. Because 12 months is surprisingly short. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very short. Right. So the answer to Ryan. Yeah, the answer to Ryan is uh, talk to the person you're developing it with. If you think you can leave them and go to somebody better, problematic. I don't don't encourage that sort of gameplay because that's how you burn bridges. But I would say just be honest and say you want to go through that mm-hmm. process. And if that if the production company says don't go through that process, then you have a decision to make. And generally, this is part of my big philosophy about development strategy. It's like everything's a decision point. Mm-hmm. So whether we attach somebody, whether we pitch to this person or this network, whether it's a half hour or a full hour, it's just decisions you make. There's no right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um generally my advice would be to be honest with people because when you're honest with people and see how they react to it, then you can make a decision on what you want to do based on that new information. Right. 
which is just it's like a life philosophy that I think is like important in this in this entertainment industry. Uh, even though I don't think most people subscribe to it. So generally, if you're really in depth with somebody, if you're more than two days, if you're multiple revisions back and forth, I wouldn't pitch to networks or other production companies. Well, let me tell you a scenario that happened in my life. So I had this show that I was pitching and I submitted it to the Slamdance Screenwriting Film Festival, the pilot festival. We came in like second place at the festival. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, And at the same time, we were showing it to people we know and we attached this producer who had worked in TV and done done some things and he got us an agent basically just for the project. Um, And then we got an email from AMC saying, hey, we saw, we like the log line, you know, for that from the slam dance win, like, and so we forwarded it to our producer and we were like, what we said, what should we do about this? And he said, nothing, just don't respond. And then we ended up, you know, months later, we're like, well, can we go to AMC? We got someone reached out to us. We don't know how high up this person was on the totem pole. And our agent like sent them like a treatment or something. And they're like, we, we are not interested in hearing this. So, so mm. there was a feeling a little bit that we had like squandered this opportunity. Yeah. Um, I, but you know, but I feel like we kind of did the right thing. Yeah. Without knowing more context, it sounds like that person had an agenda about AMC. And mm-hmm. I, and I think that's where certain production companies can really confuse talent and writers is, Hey, we have this offer from this one network and that's a really good deal. We should take it no matter. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't even pitch other networks. It's like, well, what else do you have on your slate? Cuz I've like I said I have 17 or something projects that are going to six networks. Right. All 17 are going to six or maybe nine. Mm-hmm. So there's cert- I have a priority list. And I have a pecking order of which projects I want to go where and when. And so that's the troubling part because production companies have agendas. Right. And they have friends. They have friends and they have other side deals. They have Mm -hmm. situations where they're like, oh, this network passed on my last pilot, but they said the next one's definitely going to get a script deal. So I don't want to take them. You know, there's all these sorts of interesting ecosystem backdoor deals that are hard to know when you're, when it's your idea. Right. But ideally you're not working with people like that, but that's just hard. Yeah. I mean, if a, if any network's like, we love it and you go to the producer and they're like, we shouldn't pitch them. Ooh, that, that to me is a red flag of like, why not? Right. Like, what is it? I think he just wanted to go. He wanted to have the agent. He wanted, he, I think he felt like once we send them the right. script through that one, the slam dance competition, he thought the script needed some work and he thought, you know, he basically, his thing was like, they'll read it once and we don't want to mess up that opportunity. Right. But yeah. then they didn't read it ever. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that's just a good, that's an example of like, there was a call made and maybe it was the wrong call, but it was a decision. Hopefully that you feel, it sounds like you feel like you didn't have ownership over that decision. And that's the bummer. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not but, bitter about it or anything. Like it, I think that show was a hard sell that season. Basically it was like a time travel show two years ago and like four time travel shows were sold with like yeah. big showrunners and big attachments. One of them is timeless. It's I think still on the air. I love time travel um, shows. So I love them so much. Uh, there's not a, take note. There's not <laughs> enough of them and I can't pitch them right now. I've gotten time travel ideas and the owners are like, there's too many. We can't pitch that. Yeah. There's uh, a few ideas like that that hmm. are just, there's idea exhaustion. Right? right. Like I have a show that's kind of stranger things ish. Yep. And it's like, 
every show is that Can't you know that. the yep. 80s or 90s like kids in a school and discovering something yeah. supernatural it sounds whatever. awesome I love yeah. Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, mine's actually not even supernatural. Stranger Things minus all the cool things. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, it's, yeah. yeah it's, it's Game of Thrones, but none of the stakes. Well, it's yeah. about bulletin board systems, BBSs. Are you guys familiar with these? They're uh, like pre internet. Anyway, it's riveting stuff. Phone freaking. Um, yeah, freaking, hacking, cool. uh, anarchy. Jolly Rogers, ICQ? anarchist. I remember ICQ. How old are you? 20? What? This is like uh, way before ICQ. Oh, wow. ICQ is like internet days. We're talking about like when you used to like see a phone number in the like the local newspaper and you would dial it with your modem. How old are you? Orin is ninety two. Pretty old. <laughs> he really takes care of himself. Yeah, though. I was a giant nerd in sixth grade. Mm. Uh, any final piece of advice for people that are trying to pitch a show? Uh, young people, maybe people that just uh, graduated film school or anything. It it's really the advice that you have a hundred shows inside you. And so don't wait to develop the one show that's going to rule them all. Like be thinking about three to five shows and don't spend time waiting to write that pilot Mm -hmm. because it's really about your second pilot or third or sixth or 15th pilot that you're going to write. So that's, that's what I would say is like churn them out, get the bad pilots out. Yeah, or even if it's a good pilot, after you've written six, you can go back and be like, actually, my first one was really good. Nailed it on the first but try. But you won't know yeah, sure. yeah. on your first one. And won't, unless you're a genius, and I hope you are, but yeah. it won't be the first one. And and the other, the, oh, I have so many thoughts about this. If you're a really young writer, I unfortunately, I think a lot of screenwriting and playwriting programs teach voice and tone, but actually most of your career will be somebody else's voice and tone. Mm-hmm. So like... Like, be working on both skill sets. Mm-hmm. Don't just make your own stuff. Also, figure out how to write a Family Guy episode and an It's Always Sunny episode and a Goldbergs episode and a promo for Fox Sports and, like, be able to do all of it. But you're not saying write a spec script for Family Guy. Sure. What else are you doing? <laughs> Why not? I, I guess my point is, like, be able to have the skill where you can also staff. Yeah. Right. And be able to write in somebody else's voice for whatever that voice is. It is a shame that specking isn't really a thing anymore, you know, because it isn't, that's the job most of the time. But I, I've read, read so many pilots that are not specs. They're just sample scripts of like, you clear, you clearly understand structure, tone, character, and they're fine. Mm-hmm. They're like, they're not original ideas. Right. Because the point is to go, this isn't my pilot that I want to, the one show I want to make. But you can see that I know how to write. Right. So I think specs are dead, but sample pilots aren't. Cool. Yeah. Well, so we usually like to end the show with a segment we call Unpaid Endorsements. I went to this restaurant today for lunch that I go to a lot called Soprasada. Um, They have pokey and they have sandwiches. I love it. But they have this map there called MapHawk. And if you are new to L.A., especially if you live in like Silver Lake, Los Feliz, Atwater, Echo Park area, MapHawk makes these maps. They have them like all over different stores Sp- and restaurants. Spell MapHawk for us. M-A-P-H-A-W-K. Okay. And they have a website, MapHawk.com. And it's just literally a list of all the restaurants, bars, and coffee shops in like Silver Lake, Los Feliz, um, and Atwater, and Echo Park. And it, I don't know, it, it's just like a good way to figure out where to work and where to eat in L.A., so um, especially if you live here. So check it out, maphawk.com. My other thing, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I'm working on the script right now and just trying to brainstorm 
you know, kind of good endings. And I was like looking things up on Google. Um, so Michael Arndt made this video when he was working at Pixar on Toy Story 3 called Beginnings, Setting a Story into Motion. And it's like this animated video about the things that he doesn't say every movie should have. But if you're having trouble figuring out why your movie isn't working, he's come to the conclusion that a lot of times you just haven't set things up the right way. Mm. Like why people don't care about your characters or why the stakes seem too low. And so there's this video, Beginnings, Setting a Story in Motion, where he is just talking about how he designs his first acts of movies. That's really good. And supposedly he has a lecture called uh, Insanely Great Endings that he's given all over the place. And you just have to go listen to him. There's I couldn't find anything online except for yeah. little quotes. It's a Pixar uh, like seminar that he does that I think we talked about in the second episode of this show. Because Charles Hood from Night Owls like swears by it. But the the big takeaway is like that your stakes should be there's three different aspects of it. You should have your philosophical stakes, mm-hmm. your physical stakes, and your emotional stakes. Ideally the climaxes of all three of those stakes should happen as closely together as possible. And then he shows in the end of the first Star Wars movie how like friendship prevails and they blow up the Death Star and the world is saved thanks like within 30 seconds han solo flies back in with the millennium falcon because L- friendship has prevailed and luke believes in himself and ta-da, everything's great didn't the editor do a lot of that decision making sure in yeah. that story but the point is, is that it works yeah anyway well what do you guys got um this is actually from a few months ago but i saw this group from chicago perform are they called Chicago? <laughs> it's about Chicago. No, they're, they're called Preach. Oh. And they are a spoken word improv team. And they are uh, they have a really cool format and structure where they it's all people of color. They come out to music. They they one of them steps out and says, This is what's been inspiring me lately. What's been inspiring you? And they, so they ask somebody in the audience and they say something. And then they so, right, the audience member says whatever's been right, inspiring Amazon them. Amazon Prime. Yeah, sure. And ideally, it's something a little bit more help, heartfelt, but if it's Amazon Prime, sure, sure. Right. then Amazon my family. Now. Yeah. Amazon <laughs> Fresh? <laughs> Amazon Fresh, sure. Jeff Bezos. <laughs> and <you> so, the, <laughs> um, the stock price of Amazon going up. So then, and then one person steps out and does a spoken word poem based on that idea. And improvised spoken word. Yeah, improvised yeah. spoken word. And it's all from a personal narrative standpoint. So, while right. they are often funny, but they aren't funny, funny, mm-hmm. you know, ha ha funny. Yeah. yeah it's sure. like they're comedic, but also very heartfelt and very serious and very about the person's point of view and where they, where they come from. Mm-hmm. And, beca- and partially because they're all people of color, people of diverse backgrounds that there's just a, there's a lot of story to tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they do, you know, very funny improv scenes and it's, and they're really, really good. And they're currently, uh, doing a run at IO in Chicago on Friday nights. Oh, cool. So oh, cool. preach. It's basically, somebody does spoken word, and then when somebody does spoken word, and there's a line of dialogue that everybody, somebody on the back line likes, oh, cool. they snap and say preach, and then the person repeats that dialogue. That's Preach, fun. and repeats the dialogue, preach, and then the next scene's about from that line of dialogue. That's excellent. And they're wonderful. Cool. They're so good. Preach. Preach. Well, mine is um, not quite so fun as that, but uh, do you guys know the the program Shot Designer? Yeah, I think we've had it. Let's reendorse hey, it. Listen, 
if, if this is my first time to double down on endorsement, okay. Shot designer, it's best for the iPad, but you can use it on you know your computer as well. It's nice to have like a pencil or some sort of stylus, but it's basically a top-down way of um, creating schematics for your shots, basically. So you know you can have like you set your marks for all of your actors, you set your cameras, and it's really helpful in terms of like your more complicated stuff. I just did a big musical number a couple weeks back and like I had to make sure that none of my cameras were in each other's shots as we were moving down this big block and there was a curve and there's a jib and a study cam and all this stuff. And the only way to really like internalize it was to really plan it out really cleanly and shot designer ended up being an awesome tool for it. So that's my recommendation. It's like 10 bucks on, in that's the app it? store. Yes. Yeah, so it might be 20. It's well worth it. That's for sure. Just everything changed on the day as it always does. But like being able to really visualize, like you're playing with action figures basically, and they're animated through each step. So like I had like 12 different moments where it was like, okay, my dancers are here. The car is here. The cameras are there. Being able to step through all of those things and just think through like, oh, you know, this camera's going to be in that shot or I need this or this shot will be better. Even it prepared me for the day so that when things shifted, I was ready and had a real thorough understanding of how to compose everything. It was great. So cool. Shot, shot designer. designer worth doubling down on. Nice. Um, well, if we want to find out more about you, Spencer, should we go to your website? Uh, yeah, for now, spencerleegriffin.com would be the place to go. And are you on Twitter? I am, but I don't even know my Twitter handle. <laughs> cool. Um, cool. You know, as people have ideas and pitches that, my website's the best way to oh, cool. talk about it. That's awesome. Thanks. Well, if you want to find out more about the show, you can check out justshootitpod.com. You can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. Uh, please leave us a review on iTunes. It's super helpful for us. Uh, you can check out our Twitter and Instagram also at justshootitpod. I'm at smiteypileg. I'm at Mr. Madenlo. This episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe. Our site master is Ewan Williams. And this episode was produced by Madeline Rosewatt. Music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Our question of the week is, what is the craziest thing you had to do for a film job? So if you want to join the conversation, we'll have a uh, Twitter thread and a Facebook thread so you can pick your poison, um, share your stories. We'd love to hear them, and we'll share our favorites on the show. That's everything, right? I think yep. so. Thanks, Spencer. Thank you guys Thank so you. much. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.